Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, September 13th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking Royals today, and specifically, starting pitcher Brady Singer. He's coming off a terrific performance on Sunday, seven shutout innings against the Tigers, and improved his record to 8-4. Beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnist Vahe Gregorian break down Singer's season, and we discuss his future and that of the Royals' rotation. From the 2018 draft class, who can follow Singer's path to become an effective starter? Also, you'll hear from Singer from his Sunday performance. The show started off as a Sports Beat Live. Okay, let's get started. Hey. Oops. I don't know if you can hear that, but... But my phone picked a terrible time to start ringing. <laughs> so, hey, good morning from sunny Kansas City. Welcome to Sports Beat Live, our weekly chat about the Kansas City Royals with the folks in the media who know them best. And today, that is beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnist Vahe Gregorian. And with you, please send us your questions and comments and be part of the show that is sponsored by the University of Kansas Health System. We will hear from KU Med later in the show. But, gentlemen, I wanted to talk today about starting pitching. We, we've spent many shows over the last month, probably majority of them since the All-Star break, speaking uh, to the, the young lineup and the, the rookies in the lineup and how the Bobby Witts and the MJ Melendez and Vinny Pasquantinos are, you know, are having great seasons and we can kind of see the future of the Royals lineup this season. But today I wanted to talk pitching and the uh, Brady Singer especially is coming off the game that he had on Sunday against the Detroit Tigers in which he threw seven shutout innings, lowered his ERA to 321, uh, improved his record to 8-4 and four on the season. He's having one of the better seasons by a Royals starting pitcher in a few years. So just wanted to talk about him a little bit and, and how he figures into the grand scheme of things for the Royals rotation and what that rotation might begin to look like for 2023. So Lynn, you were at the game on Sunday and, and talked to Singer afterwards. What, what did you see from his performance? I mean, he's, he's, he's been dealing for most of the year, but he seemed especially sharp on Sunday. Yeah, I think he had the, um, better command than we'd seen in the last couple of starts. Um, there'd been a couple of outings where he, even he talked about not having a good slider that he, you know, relies on a lot. Um, but that day, I mean, um, just the fastball command slider. You saw when he's on, you see some of the takes from guys that are just sort of like the uncomfortable with bats and the, the guys that get froze on pitches that they're, that they sort of gave up on early, but still ended up as strikes. And you saw that again. Um, and also just the, uh, with guys on base, it seems like all season when there's been guys on base, particularly guys in scoring position, he's, he's sort of performed a little bit better. And we saw that again, uh, not that they had a whole lot of guys on base on Sunday, but we saw that again where, you know, um, just even just the way he finished that outing to get to the seventh. Um, I think, yeah, it was the, the seventh, right? Yeah, I'm trying to remember, but yeah. And then um, they got a guy on early, got him the third with one out, 
and then it was strikeout and then ground out the end and the inning again stranded the guy on base so i think that's um been pretty indicative of what we've seen from him of late and Vahe developed that third pitch uh, or at least started throwing that third pitch earlier this season and he's gone to a different level than what we've seen the first two years of brady singer in kansas city yeah, a couple things on this too, Blair, they, and I think they all interrelate. So when did he develop that pitch? He did it uh, with a strong will and a strong mind when he got sent down, right? I mean, and he, maybe you could say he was stubborn before that, but um, that, that, as it stands right now, we'll, we'll be looking at that as a pivot point of his career, won't we? And the reason I bring that up too as a matter of will, I, I was struck by the quote Mike Matheny had in your story, Lynn, um, about Brady's competitive mindset, not just his competitive mindset, but uh, what has become a mental strength that, in all candor, I, I thought uh, he might have might have been struggling with when uh, he didn't get instant success or had sporadic success. And I wondered if his competitive edge was uh, actually a competitive um, disadvantage because he was, he was I, I, I thought, on a track to basically to not succeed. I really, I really wondered about that. It was early to make that judgment, but um, now you, you have Mike Matheny saying he basically willed, willed this when we needed it. And I think that it, he was talking about the moment, but I think that speaks um, more broadly about Brady too. Well, and I think that also speaks to um, sort of that fine line, like you were talking about, well, maybe he was stubborn. Well, I think, Part of that stubbornness, that will, like in whether, you know, you, we talk about it in terms of, you know, not throwing that change. But I think just his natural stubbornness is part of, you know, it, it's all part of the package. So whether it's, you know, being able to pitch or thinking that he can pitch with just those two pitches and I'm going to get it done. And it doesn't matter what you guys say about this change up, yada, yada, yada. Um, that's the same stubbornness and will that when there's, you know, um, they've lost two in a row and the Tigers have put up like 18 runs in the previous two games. He's going to go out there and shove and be like, oh, really? Well, I got I got something for that. So I think it's, it's all part of the package. And it's that fine line between eyes, oh, too stubborn. And it's like, well, no, the stubbornness is part of who he is. And that makes him the guy that they, you know, use that first pick on in uh, 2018. You know, with that, it, I can only think about that. Uh, uh, his fury at the rain um, video from, from a couple of years ago. And. I bring that up for a reason, too, and, and Lynn, you can certainly speak better to this than I can, but I feel like that burn seems more and more inside him than uh, something he's outwardly showing. I feel like you don't see him get ruffled uh, as visibly anyway as we once did. I mean, I felt like you could just read his uh, um, moments of un undoing uh, a number of times. Of course, he's had fewer moments of undoing, but I think that all goes together. Do you think he's become more poised and even within that set of uh, his emotional play? I think, um, and it's not one of those things that you're going to read on his face, like you said, like it's not something that you're necessarily going to see, um, you know, demonstrated in a whole lot of ways because he's one of those guys who works fast and like, you know, he's get the ball and, and you know, he's got that, that, so that drops that kick go is just boom, boom, boom. Um, and he doesn't take a whole lot of time in between. So it's not something that you necessarily see a whole lot of, um, which I think is part of the reason that that, um, that thing from, from Florida and like the, the rain delay thing and that emotion stands out because he's a guy who's sort of stoic and from the sort of have this, 
you know, fit about the rain. Um, it was, uh, and the fact that, you know, uh, I think Wit, um, when he was still here on social media, made sure that that did not get lost and was not forgotten. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think there is some more points. I think particularly in um, after that game, I, I asked him about sort of those situations when there's runners in scoring position in those tight spots. And um, I think he's realized, and I think he even spoke to this, that really it's just a matter of making good pitches. It's not trying to get guys to chase or trying to be too fine or try to pick around the edges. It's, it's just staying on the attack. So I think that's something that he's learned um, and he's come around to. And even earlier in the season, I know we talked to him about just um, – in general, being more confident in himself and coming around to, you know, as opposed to, you know, when you're facing big leaguers for the first few times and um, feeling like you have to do pitch a certain way or that, you know, you can't just go out there and attack the way you always have. And he's come around to the fact that, no, that's what got him here and that his stuff, if he does it the way that he should uh, or if he uses it the way he should, still plays. So I think there has been an added, uh, you know, poise, confidence, um, knowing how to do uh, how to perform in certain situations, I think that has come with time. I think we're we're seeing some of that this season. Okay, let's hear from Brady Singer from Sunday. This was after the game, and Lynn was part of the, the small group of reporters that um, that was that, that were asking uh, Brady Singer about his performance. Here is Brady Singer. Yeah, it's really good. You know, I wanted to get deep in that game and uh, got as deep as I could there. Um, but yeah, it's it really good. Really happy with um, kind of like I said, helping the bullpen out there. Came out well on the attack. Um, I think the slider was kind of the, you know, the pitch today that helped me the most. I um, was able to kind of really tuck that behind the lefties. And fastball kind of came uh, later in the game, but can get that you know more into lefties and into the righties too. You've talked about these past couple starts not having the, your typical slider. What, did you do anything? Yeah, we kind of talked about it. It's kind of just setting the sights lower, um, you know, kind of letting it work in the bottom part of the zones. Um, you know, I think it was just kind of where I was throwing, and I think the break was uh, obviously a lot better today. Kind of see the you know the different swings on it, stuff like that. But yeah, I think just kind of setting my sights a little bit lower and you know letting the break work. When you guys are coming off of a couple of losses and you get the ball, obviously you want pitch ball every time. But is there anything different in terms of your mentality or, you know, maybe is it just a natural competitiveness you think that, yeah, that shows I mean, I, up? I try to keep the mentality the same every time. But, you know, like I said, you know, with the, the two losses before, um, yeah, the mentality was a little bit better today. Just going out there and trying to get deep in the game um, and just going right at them. Uh, you know, they've obviously had two good offensive days uh, the past two days. So just to kind of go out there and do that was, was good. Staying on the attack there, um, you know, running a score prison has helped me a lot. I think the past few years I've kind of been, you know, picking around guys, you know, trying to get them to chase, but um, I'm trying to throw competitive pitches in the zone um, and kind of understand where the runners are, how many outs there are and stuff like that. I feel like I've done a lot better job this year than I have in the past. have Detroit's number. I mean, like every time you pitch against them, I think it's now 6-0. and The ERA is way down. I mean, is there something about Detroit that brings it out of you? Um, no, not really. I just kind of face them a lot and, you know, I kind of know their lineup pretty well, but they obviously know me too. Um, so, no, nothing really with Detroit. Just, like I said, just trying to go out there and uh, do the best I can with, you know, situation. How, how pumped were you to just sort of finish it off the way you did by leaving that guy on third and keeping keeping them off the board? Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, kind of, like I said, the situation, understanding what I've got. Um, you know, not trying to pick around. I'm not really looking for a strikeout there either. I'm trying to, you know, keep my pitch count low, trying to get him to eighth there. Um, kind of go right on. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just, well, a couple things. Maybe you and I were going to go the same place. Uh, I, I want Lynn to explain uh, the illumination, the lighting going on in Daniel Lynch's locker right behind Brady Singer while he was talking, the the red, the green, the blue, and then how that was appearing underneath <laughs> Brady Singer's cap as he was discussing his performance on Sunday. You know, I'm, I'm still not really sure because um, there's uh, – a corner where uh, Salvador Perez's locker is, where there's um, a lot of times there's flashing lights and there's a um, uh, even it's not a strobe machine, but there's there's something over there where there's usually a little light thing going on. Um, I'm not sure how it ended up in um, uh, that locker there with uh, uh, Daniel Lynch's locker next to Singer. And I, I still didn't really, I mean, because it was it was there and you just sort of ignoring it while you're talking. And I never actually found out what, what was going on there. What, um, but uh, yeah, and, I, and I'm trying to think if Lynch was even around. I mean, I guess he was around. I know post game he was actually um, <laughs> he was actually serving as a catcher in the middle of the clubhouse catching um, pitches from uh, one of the young Grinkies as they were firing pitches across the clubhouse to the point where I was literally standing on the other side. And I, I said to one of the PR guys who was standing behind, I was like, you're showing a lot of faith in Lynch as a catcher because Grinky's kid was just firing. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not standing behind that. <laughs> so I was, I was more worried about making sure I didn't get hit by a stray uh, pitch than uh, what was going on with the lighting going on there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and Lynn, you've seen this too. It's like in the, the Chiefs locker room trying to avoid the basketball game and uh, the, the flying basketball during uh, during the, the media session in the, in the locker room. Anyway, uh, I, I like that you asked him about his success against Detroit. He improved a 6-0 lifetime against the Tigers. And how about, how about this? Uh, I was looking at some Brady Singer numbers. All-time, he is um, – 13 and seven against AL central teams, which it only has a losing record against one of them. And that's the twins. So he's got winning records against the white Sox and the guardians, as well as the tigers. He's two and five against the twins lifetime at home. He's 12 and 10 with a four Oh five career ERA and the Royals this season. And this may be the, the most important stat are they're 14 and 10 in games that he starts for the Royals. He's eight and four, but the Royals are 14 and 10. There's not another pitcher that a starting pitcher uh, that the Royals uh, have that has a winning record in games that th that person starts. So he really has established himself as the, uh, the, 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 the number one guy in the rotation. And I want to know what you think that means going forward, but let's, let's pick that up. Uh, after we take a break and hear from the University of Kansas Health System. March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. We were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. 
For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says Start a Subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. We are back on Sportsbeat Live talking Royals with beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnist Vahe Gregorian. Topic today is starting pitching, specifically Daniel Lynch. But let's broaden it and talk about starting pitching. Um, uh, Singer has, uh, uh, did I say Daniel Lynch? Brady Singer, of course, is who we're talking about. Brady Singer ha- having an outstanding year. One of the best years for, for a Royal starting pitcher since I think that window, that championship window that I consider starting in 2013 and ending in 2017. I remember in 2017, Jason Vargas having a, a really nice year for the Royals. I think he won 18 games that year. But but since then, I'm not sure there's been a starting pitcher, somebody who's thrown more than 100 innings and has had an ERA as low as 321. And um, the Royals have 21 games remaining, starting with tonight's game at Minnesota. And uh, I figure Singer will get uh, four more starts. So has a chance to improve his record, lower ZRA, and other numbers even more. So um, we talked about why Singer is having, uh, you know, an outstanding year. But, but Lynn, how about uh, let's? How does what does Singer's season mean, if anything, for the other pitchers that were drafted in the in twenty eighteen in the first round? Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich. Um, and uh, who am I missing here? Uh, oh, Jackson Coar, of course. It, should the Royals be encouraged by, or how much should the Royals be encouraged by how well Singer is pitching? He was the first one to the majors. He's had the most experience in the majors. These other guys, um, Bubich, you know, came up about a week later, has, has started uh, about, I don't know, 10 games fewer than Singer. But should, should the Royals be encouraged that others in that draft class can can make a jump or an improvement over their you know, over their tenure the way Brady Singer has. I think there's um, I guess I look at it two ways. Individually, um, there's definitely encouragement there as far as you know if if in not everybody follows the same path or is on the same timeline and like everybody's different, but. To, to look at Brady as sort of almost like a, a benchmark and say, okay, with a little more patience, this is where some of these other guys might get to. Um, there's definitely that train of thought. But then in the bigger picture, I also feel like, you know, those guys are behind him. So if you're going into next season expecting to compete and, and to, you know, be in the thick of things or to be, you know, 500 or whatever you want to say, can you rely on those guys and still making those steps? Like, what is that going to mean for what your overall um, team is going to look like? Or, or can you rely on them going into the season? I think that's, that's two different things. Individually, I think there's encouragement because these guys could get to that point. Um, As far as making up the rotation for next year, if you've got multiple guys who still haven't gotten to that point yet, and you're waiting for them to get to that point next season, what, what does that mean for where your team's going to be? And I don't think, um, it's, it's going to be hard to be competitive and say you're going to wait for those guys to make those steps or expect them to make those steps during the season. I mean, after all, Brady Singer didn't even make this rotation out of camp this year. So if you're saying some of these guys are behind him and they still have to make those steps and Brady had to go back to the minors for a little bit to do that, um, can you can you afford to go into next season you know, relying on 
Daniel Lynch, uh, Bubich, um, you know, Heasley, these guys. And, and or I mean, you can rely on some of them, but like if that's going to be, you know, four fifths or five out of five of the rotation, then that's that might be a tall task. Yeah, I, I, I like how Lynn put it, Blair. And, and you know, I'm, I'm partly reminded of that old uh, spawn and sane and pray for rain with the White Sox. <laughs> like it's singer and pray for rain right now because you're waiting for the rest of these guys to, to click in, right, on, on any level of consistency. So I'm, I'm oversimplifying the point, but um, it sure feels to me like everything about the offseason has to be geared toward enhancing the pitching and and whether that means a Jason Vargas-like signing or a, signing or a Volquez-type thing or even maybe dealing some young talent for a James Shields-type thing. I mean, I, I'm not sure what what the dynamic needs to be, but I feel like they know what they're what they have on the field is a lot of what they want to go with. I, I think we can all agree on that. That that maybe I mean they need to enhance it, sure, but they've got the pieces on the field that they hope are the nucleus and uh will sink or swim with them but they would just be guessing if if uh they think the, the rest of these young guys are going to be ready it, it, that's what it feels like to me and it's it's also i think in some ways um you know it's it, nothing else interesting to see that they've already started making moves to look at guys in the bullpen i mean if you went into this season um, and I know we've had, I think we probably go back, we had some of these conversations What either on here or just, you know, I remember having some of them in Arizona where it's like, okay, who, who do we think are going to be the guys? Because you had all these young guys and you had guys that were brought in and it's like, okay, is it going to be, you know, Keller? Um, you know, at that point it was minor, but you switch him out with Granke. Um, are you going to see, uh, you know, remember Carlos Hernandez? And I'm naming these guys in particular because Keller's gone to the bullpen. Hernandez has gone to the bullpen. Um, you know, and, and, and you still got all, and, and what you have left aside from Grinky is a lot of these young guys, like I said, they're so singer. He looks like he's a guy that you can count on, but you know, Granky can be a free agent at the end of the season. You move Keller to the bullpen. So that, that means you've got a lot of young guys who haven't really done this in the major leagues. That means you're looking at Bubich, um, you know, uh, Lynch, Heasley, uh, Zerpers looked good, but is very limited amount of time. And he's actually, you know, in the minors now rehabbing just to sort of get himself back on track. But um, it's interesting to me that they're trying to build up that bullpen um, in some ways, you know, to almost compliment, you know, what, if you're going to have young starters that are, you know, you're not entirely sure about, you want to sort of build a, a, you know, a strong bullpen, a bullpen that maybe is versatile, you know, with some guys who can maybe give you different roles and guys who can be, um, you know, uh, just lockdown guys at that back end. Um, but that still leaves the question about, you know, are you going to have to go get some experienced guys? I mean, uh, as much as everybody's been excited about the young pitchers, uh, you know, when they, the last time they won, not that that's the blueprint, but the last time they won, you know, that the, they had the young whippersnappers of, you know, uh, Chris Young and Shields, and uh, I think even um, was Volquez, Jeremy Guthrie, yeah, uh, Volquez. Guthrie. I mean, like these guys are all like you know thirty and, and such. So it's like, well, um, yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that going into the offseason because they're already starting to look at building out a bullpen and they're taking from some of the supposed options from the uh, starting group to, to do that. 
Yeah, and the aforementioned Jason Vargas was part of the the, the lineup in 2014. I like I always like to remind that the the, the players the, the pitchers who started games for the Royals in the 2014 playoffs, um, uh, none of them, it, all but one, I should say, started games in the 2015 playoffs. That's how much turnover there was in starting pitching from 2014 to 2015. Um, Jordano Ventura was the only player who started for the Royals in 2014 and 2015 postseason. Completely different uh, cast of starting pitchers. And, uh, and hey, <laughs> both worked, right? The Royals were in, within one game of winning it all in 14 and didn't win it all in 15. So that strategy worked. And I think you're both right. You both make the excellent point that I just don't see how the Royals can go into 2023 without having signed a couple of free agent pitchers and probably overpay for for them uh, because that's just what the market is. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're enjoying the final you know, weeks of the regular season watching the, the, the young Royals lineup and imagining what things could be like from, you know, from that perspective. But it almost seems inevitable that we're going to lose one or two of those to – you know, the, the way the Royals did in, you know, in 2013 when they acquired James Shields and Wade Davis for Will Myers. Um, so that's that it's almost bound to happen, isn't it? Well, one thing, Blair, I, I, I like the point you made about maybe they'll even overpay because we're at a little bit of an inflection point on on the John Sherman ownership uh, sort of trajectory. Right. What what? What is it that this era is going to stand for? And there have been a couple of years now of, you know, certainly patience and, and, and waiting to see how things develop. But at some point, I think for the fan base, you'd like to see some more concerted action um, that, that says, OK, we're going to be aggressive about this. You can make a case. Some will say that they won't they shouldn't have waited so long to bring guys up this year. But I think you can make a case. They did a pretty bold thing ultimately this year with bringing all these guys up and typically featuring seven rookies in the lineup. Um, but I think they need to do something uh, bold in a different way with what they do uh, on the, on the market this, this off season. It's going to be interesting though. Also just to, I mean, you're not in all likelihood going to get a frontline starter because one frontline starters don't, you know, come along all that often. And two, the, the price tag on that, you know, because you're going to be, you know, if there's frontline stars available, then there's going to be multiple teams involved in going after them. So that just drives the price up. And Kansas City is not going to most likely win a, a whole lot of bidding wars. So, um, you know, the, the free agent market, the other thing with that is, you know, you, you spend a lot to get a guy there. And then if things don't work, you, you can't overcome that. Like, you know, you can't just keep chasing that with money like some of these other teams can where, like you know, they make a mistake on a guy and, you know, either you spend more to make up for it or, you know, you can spend to sort of buy yourself out of it. Whether that means trading them away or just cutting them loose. Like once you make that mistake, then you got to find a way to, to make that work or to make something out of that if you're Kansas City. Um so it'll be interesting to see because I don't think that there's I, I don't get the sense that the, there's a whole lot of um, 
you know, uh, move to go out and spend big on a frontline starter from them. But I, I think they do know that they need at least something you can count on. As far, I mean, that's that's usually what, when they're looking at these veteran guys, it's going to be something that you know what you're going to get that you can predict and you can sort of rely on when you pencil it, pencil into the book to that uh, rotation. And you, you know, you know, you're going to get these innings consistency. That's what you're looking for. You're not necessarily looking for front of the rotation type guy because that's usually not what they're able to get in free agency um and i haven't no honestly i haven't looked at a whole lot of you know what the options are going to be that are out there um i know you know a couple of names but it's probably more the the top end names where it's you know okay these are the guys that you're gonna have to spend a whole lot of money on i think that ivahe brings up the trade route that that might be more of you know uh, a way to go because then you're not bidding against you know, as far as money, you're, you're, you know, it's the the players, it's the compensation of what you're getting back. Um, it's and then also you might be able to get a little bit more control without, you know, it might be depending on who you trade for. It's a guy who's under control. He's got X number of years already left on that deal. And that's what you're trading for, as opposed to trying to price that out and then, you know, sort of hamstringing potentially what you have um, to spend in these next couple of years as these young guys have to start getting paid in the next couple of years. Hey, Johnny Cueto's available in the free agent market after this season. Let's bring back a hit. So, all right. Hey, guys, great conversation as always. Thank you so much to, to Lynn Worthy and Devahe Gregorian and to our producer, Monty Davis, and to our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System. If it's Tuesday, we're talking Royals, so we will be back next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for more Royals conversation. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC staff of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, George Howard, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A salute to our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System, and a tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for sharing their insights. Morning Sports Edition was 48 pages full of sports coverage of baseball, the NFL, college football, soccer, and everything else. There was a good column about the Broncos' loss to the Seahawks last night. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC.